Pages of Pim Better Podcast. Greetings, Voyagers. Welcome to the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. This is episode number 255. And my voyage today was a 30-minute walk into the Bushwick neighborhood of Brooklyn. The topic of conversation was sake. Likely you've had it, probably, or at least heard of it. And probably you've heard of it referred to as a rice wine. It's really brewed more like a beer, and at Kato Sake Works, man, like I've had it before, but not like this. It's so crisp and clean and delicious and alcohol content kind of sneaks up on you. Uh, so I was really excited that I got to go to their shop and their facility to meet with their founder and head brewer, Shinobu Kato. He was born in Tokyo and he came to Brooklyn when he was about 30 years old was a career changer, and now he's one of very few people. I think he said there's like 20 places in the States that are making sake here, the rest of it imported from Japan. And you know me. I'm always interested in talking to people who are doing something the old school way, who are doing it uh, in the timeless tradition, and doing something very unique and niche and uh, specialized. So really amazing, sweet guy. I got to taste a couple of different sakes. I went home with some sake to bring to relatives for the holidays. It was a really good time talking to him. Uh, wanted to mention a couple of things before we get into the interview. First of all, uh, ratings and reviews are like, they're sort of the life's blood of media nowadays. It's something that I can't avoid. Um, it's important to get into algorithms and, uh, you know, like when you go on to listen to music or a podcast and it says, if you like this, check out these other ones, that's all helped by reviews. So if you're able to leave a rating and review in something like Apple iTunes, which will convert over to like all platforms, uh, it's a big help. So I wanted to shout out some people who have left reviews recently. So Ashley, thank you to you, Dr. Hennessy. Um, Into the Wild, a.k.a. <laughs> Maddie Ice, thanks to you. Uh, Tim Sapola, I know you, Tim Sapola, big dog. Thank you, Tim. And Schmedley, thank you to all of you for leaving reviews. If you're listening for the first time or you're a repeat listener, uh, maybe it's annoying, but it, it is quick. It only takes like 60 seconds, and it, it really does help. It's something I've avoided for a while, but if you're able to do that. It's a, it's a super help. And if you want to even screenshot it and, and, and send it to me, I can mail you some stickers for free or some zines and stuff like that that I've produced. Uh, and you'll also have my love and appreciation. It, it, it really does help. So thank you to you all. I also wanted to mention, and it comes up in this episode, but I've traveled to a place that I've talked about on this podcast many times, and it's called Shargao. The neighborhood or the village in particular in Shargao is Pacifico. Shargao is an island in the Philippines. It's like a vacation island. Um, it's not as built up as places you might think of, like resorty and stuff like that. There is one neighborhood or town that is pretty resorty, and the rest of it is just people living and you know giving surf lessons and stuff like that. But it, they were hit by a really bad storm recently. And the island was leveled, like really leveled. So I don't, I, I had read something like they won't even have power restored and like cell service and internet for possibly six months. 
Uh, there were people who died and there were businesses. There's a place that I stayed for weeks that is destroyed. So I don't know if, if at least put some good energy and love out into the air for them. Um, my thoughts are with them. And if you do see anything pop up that you can give supplies or, you know, money, I will also keep you abreast of the situation. And if there's anything that comes up that I can promote to try to help out, I'll do that. But, uh, for now, you know, you can Google and see if there's anything you could help out with if you're interested in doing that or if you can, uh, cause it's heartbreaking. It's terrible. All right. Well, Let's get into this conversation. Shinobu is such a cool guy. Uh, go to the show notes for this and you'll find a link to their social media and you can find out about the new facility that they're moving into. But in the meantime, if you're in New York and you're in Brooklyn or you're visiting, uh, check them out. Or if you want to order something online, I know they have shirts. Uh, I picked one up tonight. It's really cool looking. But if you can support them in any way, like this is a, again, like I have so many cool people on who are on the cusp of really expanding their business and blowing up. And I could see it. God damn, their stuff is so, is really, really delicious. It, it's crazy to me how it can taste fruity and there's no fruit. It's just rice, yeast, water, and mold. And depending on the cooking technique, the heating, the temperature, the length of time that it ferments, that all alters the taste. It's incredible. So yeah, go check them out online, check them out in person. For now, I will stop bantering and enjoy this conversation with Shinobu Kato. All right, awesome. Well, first of all, thank you for having me here. All right. I'm really, really excited to be here. I've had, I'm trying to think of like guests in the world of alcohol. Okay. Uh, I like to have people who represent a unique product. Uh-huh. And usually I'll have one person that does that. So like I had somebody who makes fish sauce. Okay. And I thought, okay, probably listeners will be interested, but they might not want like 10 people or 10 fish sauce episodes, right? <laughs> um, that's maybe a little... <laughs> Too niche. So in terms of alcohol, I've had someone from a brewery, uh, bourbon at the distillery at like the Navy Yard here. Mm-hmm. I had somebody who makes a Lao, um, it's called Lao Lao, ri- uh, rice whiskey from Laos. I've never had somebody on to talk about sake. So okay. I'm super excited to, to talk to you. Though I've drank my fair share. Yep. I know very little. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is exciting to, to talk to you and, and to learn from you. So thank you. All right. I also have not been drinking much lately. So this should be an interesting okay. <laughs> little okay. experiment. Yep. So people understand what I'm talking about. I've got uh, a lineup here in front of me that I'm excited to taste. So yeah, cool, cool. Let's get into it. All right. Um, you are originally from Japan, right? Yes. I was born and grew up in Tokyo. Like in the city proper or like in, in the, the city? Ah, okay. Yeah. Which uh, I haven't been, but which part of Tokyo? Uh, it's a west part of probably like five train stops from the city center. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, but it's very residential. And I tell everybody that this bush week reminds me of my old neighborhood in Tokyo. Oh, so interesting. So proximity to Manhattan. Oh, right, I see. With L train. So something like that, that I usually used to go out 
in you know somewhere like a center of Tokyo, and oh. then I took a train back home, like ten minutes train ride. Yeah, and oh. it's more chill with a lot of like students, artists, old residential neighborhood. Yeah, so I like Bushwick very much. I see. Yeah. How long did you live there? I was in in Tokyo. I was. They until like I'm 30 and then I came to the U.S. Wow. So then yeah. you still have family there, I guess? Yeah. My mom still lives there. Oh, okay. In the same neighborhood? Same neighborhood. Ah, very cool. Very cool. Uh, what were you as a young man and as a teenager, what were you interested in doing when you became an adult? So when, when I was living there, oh, I think maybe my teenage Days, I was in like music, fashion, all American stuff. Really? Yeah, yeah. Oh. Y- you know, oh, I was one of the few classmates started listening to like American rock on 80s, something like that. Well, everybody else was listening to like J-pop or something like that at the time. Yeah. And uh, it was fun. I ha- We had a few TV programs like MTV kind. Yeah. And they are on air on like Sunday midnight or something like that. Really? Yeah. And then we were like, you know, 13, 14 years, I guess. And we have to stay till late, watch that. (laughs) And the next morning at school, everybody talks about like, hey, this band was great or something like that. So I was quite into it. Ah, cool. Did you think that you'd play music or do something in the world of music? No, really. I was playing in a band in that, you know, Teenager, but nothing serious, right? Yeah. yeah. And it's funny because this Burali, everybody except me are musicians. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, that is very cool. So then I'm assuming there was no one in your family who was in this particular business or industry. No, no. So you know that sake industry is very uh, traditional. And usually you are born into a family who runs sake business. So there are many breweries that it's like 10th generation of the the owner oh. kind of situation. And also, I don't think you can get any new license right now. So unless you are born in the sake brewing family or you buy a existing sake brewery, it's hard to get into the industry. So oh. I never thought about that. And also home brewing in Japan is completely legal. Legal. Illegal. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I read that after World War II, beer and wine became much more popular and then mm-hmm. there were fewer sake breweries in yeah. Japan. Yeah. So when I started drinking, probably, you know, around the same time I was into the American hard rock, oh, sake was not so sexy. Really? So, yeah, that was more like a grandpa's drink. Yeah, all the school. And also quality was not probably that good at that time. There was no like a craft sake movement yet. So all the sake that available is like cheap, sticky, like happy hour sake that you might get at the sushi restaurant in the US, something like that. Now, has that changed? Because I've noticed through my own traveling and experiences that you do see, and again, I haven't been to Japan, so I don't want to like, lump it in with the places I've been, but um, let me give an example. So like in Vietnam, mm-hmm. um, 
there it, it's it's quite cool and it's quite popular to go to like Western fast food chains and like me when I'm there as a traveler I'm like wait a second there's this amazing street food it's cheaper it's better but in conjunction with that there also are it seems to me a greater appreciation for that sort of like food that uh, is older or like grandma made or was, mm-hmm. uh, had fallen out of popularity. So mm-hmm. it is like the popularity of sake coming back at all? Coming back, yeah. Oh. So that happened, I think I'll, maybe when I started drinking or around the time that I started working. Oh, but it was like old school, old you know, grandma's drink. But there are a few sake breweries started like, hey, we want to do more craft, right? And then those craft breweries in the local regions got introduced to the bigger market. And then there was a big boom of the craft sake. That was probably like 80s, around 1980s or something like that. Oh, that's super interesting. Yeah, yeah. And then that's when I started working. And then I was lucky that my boss was like a sake connoisseur and a foodie. In Japan? In Japan. And he was like, okay, shinobu. All the sake that you've been drinking, like what the gram- grandpa's sake that you're talking about, that's something that you should not be drinking. This is a real sake, right? So I was lucky to be introduced to those good quality of sake. And then since then, I got hooked into to the class sake. Those are like, if you've ever heard the term, a holy moment. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm even, I was even thinking just now of like, I grew up on Long Island mm-hmm. and... I'm from like a white lower middle class family and we didn't really have a a lot of exposure to food outside of what we made or like when I was a kid, I loved the restaurant friendlies, right? Like, mm-hmm. So when I think of like when I started to first have sushi, you know, I was going to like Long Island, like strip malls where there's like a bunch of places off the side of the highway and it was good for what it was, but mm-hmm. then when you had like really good sushi, you're like, oh, wait a second. Like, yeah. this is totally different. Yeah. I can't go back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I had that moment with sake. Oh, very yeah. cool. And, and I think in the US, people experience the same thing for beer, for example, mm. right? You started with like cheap, cheap beer in the college or high school. Oh, yeah. And then at some point, if you're lucky, you start drinking like local IPA. Of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like all those like mainstream light beers that taste like, I don't know, water. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good point. I hadn't mm-hmm. thought of that. Mm-hmm. So you didn't start though like brewing and experimenting till you came to the States? Yeah, that is correct. So oh, I moved to the US 2004 and then two years in the grad school and then got a job in Tennessee. Oh. So, yeah, I stayed in Tennessee for like 10 years. Where, which part? Nashville. Ah, oh, very cool. Mm-hmm. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, I still have a strong opinion towards hot chicken and a barbecue, but yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that, that's where I spent. And then at that time, I was like, okay, I like to have good sake. I like to be able to serve good sake at my home party, but it's so hard Right. Mm. Either do I have to go back to the college sake for my party? Probably not. I, you know, I should not do that. But at the same time, good sake is a little too expensive for like a regular party. Mm. Right. Uh, so I ended up serving like local wine, at least wine or like local beer. 
Well, it's been a shame. And the same thing happened where every time I go to the sushi restaurant, like, you know, nowadays there's a good quality sushi restaurant anywhere. But when you go to the sake menu, it's either non-bland, two-for-one, happy hour sake, hot sake, or something a little too expensive for the day-to-day sushi dinner. Ah. So that's when I started brewing. And then at the time... Many of my friends started making own beer, making own wine. And then I was like, okay, that sounds interesting. I can try. Okay. So I, I have so many questions. <laughs> um, first of all, why don't I take a brief pause from the conversation? I'll try something. Sure. Um, okay. So this is, is it Junmai? Yeah, that is Junmai. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, just visually so people can see, this looks to me to be the clearest of the sakis that are here. Does that, what does that mean? Yeah, so we filter this one and then pasteurize. So this is the most basic or orthodox one. It's clean and crisp and uh, probably the most versatile when it comes to the food pairing. And you sip it. Yeah, you yeah. sip it. Oh, yeah. Oh, that is so smooth. That's why sake is dangerous. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I had read actually, um, and I'm, I'm so glad I get to ask you a lot of these things, um, that often when it's brewed, the alcohol, alcohol content is almost like too high and it almost has to be watered down. Is that? Yes. Yes. So sake, the, the brewing method of sake allows the final product to to go as high as like 20% mm. ABB, or one of the highest in the fermented alcoholic beverages. So you need to water it down. Usually the sake average alcohol percentage is like 16. Okay. Yeah. M- most of our sake, we don't dilute, but we finish the fermentation at around that level. Yeah, so that's why our sake has a little more kind of kick or like a more kind of stronger flavor compared to the typical sake. This is beautiful. Thank you. What what determines if it's served cold or hot? It's personal choice at okay. the end of the day. Oh, like today is so cold. Mm-hmm. I'd rather like to have a hot sake. Okay. You know, any of our sake can be warmed up. Oh, oh and then it's nice to sip a hot sake out. Well, I mean, no, it doesn't have to be outside, but like in this weather, right? Right. Uh, that being said, when I when we provide samples, we chill our sake so that you can enjoy the whole flavor spectrum, I'd say. If okay. it's warmed up, it might evaporate some of the flavors, right? We try to contain. I see. Mm-hmm. Do you say senpai? Kanpai. 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 Okay. Mm-hmm. And in Japan, do you say sake? Because I had read that there's a different name. Oh, yes. Yeah, sake has a double meaning in Japanese. So sake means the this type of alcoholic beverage made from rice, but at the same time, sake is a general term for alcoholic beverage. Oh, okay. Yeah. So depending on the context, you can easily understand like, hey, if I right. tell you like, hey, Tim, let's go to drink sake, in that case, I'm saying that, hey, let's go out for drink in general. Oh, right? that's very interesting. But if you're at the bar... I ask, hey, Tim, what would you like to drink? Would you like to drink sake? Then that means that, hey, would you like to drink this sake instead of beer or wine? Okay, I got you. Now, 
I was like tracing back the history and everything. <laughs> I, I guess if you want to go all the way back, like the cultivation of rice comes originally from China mm-hmm. and comes to Japan. Mm-hmm. But sake in mm-hmm. this form mm-hmm. is uniquely Japanese, right? Well, we can trace back some of the techniques uh, to China uh, or some other Southeast Asia, uh, Southeast Asian regions. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, probably that's right. That specific way of making this type of, you know, clear rice-based alcoholic beverage is finally kind of finalized in Japan, like, mm. you know, thousand years ago. So, but all the parts of the science and the techniques are from China. Oh, that's mm-hmm. interesting. I had, what, I wrote a quote down here somewhere. Mm-hmm. So like use of the mold in the fermentation, that came from China. Although throughout the history of the, the cultural exchange, we developed a specific strain of mold. But in general, using mold as a part of the fermentation is not unique to Japan. So there's actually two questions in there, or two questions that that popped into my mind where you're saying that. Sure. The first is I mentioned um, Lao rice whiskey, which Mm -hmm. you find in like a a variation of that in a Mm -hmm. couple places in Southeast Asia. Yeah. uh, Which is a distillation. So Mm -hmm. what exactly... Is the difference, I guess, like the science behind distilling versus fermentation? Like what makes sake different from that? So, but but that Lao whiskey, interesting because I've been to the place they make a Lao whiskey in Laos one time. Uh-huh. Yeah. And it was very fascinating because there's a lot of similarities oh. and the differences in sake making. Okay. Right. So sake is not distilled, only fermented or brewed, right? Oh, but the base ingredients is rice and yeast and uh, that mold called koji and water. So the use of mold and uh, yeast in the fermentation is quite ubiquitous in the East, you know, Southeast Asian cultures, including like Lao. Oh. So when when I went to the Lao whiskey factory, maybe factory is not the right term because it was just a small space right next to the river. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. (laughs) Like an open spot. They steam rice and they put a little bit of the ash, I guess, to uh, adjust the pH Mm -hmm. and then leave it there in a small clay pot, like open air, open fermentation. And then something happens and then you get alcoholic beverage, which they will eventually distill, uh. right? Uh, while distillation extract the essence of the alcohol. So even though the base alcohol has a little bit of the flavor, those of flavor will be gone, mm. right? So as long as you can ferment to the certain level of the alcohol, you can distill it and then have a good flavor drink. Well, if you're drinking non-distilled alcohol, like brewed alcohol, everything in the tank will be the final flavor, right? So that's why things 
becomes a little more complicated so that the final flavor does not have anything that you don't want. Interesting. Yeah. Where do you get that, the, the koji from? How do you get the mold? So currently we get uh, koji spores or the seed of the uh, fungus from Japan. So there's probably like a dozen of koji mold suppliers in Japan. So their job is to make grow koji mold and harvest spores. That's so interesting to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And most of them are like a mom and pop shop. They have like thousand years of their histories. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's they do. It's kind of interesting. Do you have to control for all the conditions so that mold doesn't die or Yeah, so we we get spores or seed, right? Mm-hmm. And then that's super easy to handle. Okay. Then we steam rice here and we cultivate the mold on the rice and then sprinkle that koji spores and then the molds start growing on the rice. It takes 48 hours in a bit high temperature, humid environment, like your bathroom, right? Really? That's how you grow your mold. Right, right. right. Yeah, yeah. Mold rubs humidity and then warm temperature. How long did it take you to perfect this, to get this right? Not having a history of brewing in the mm-hmm. past mm-hmm. and then doing something pretty unique that has some variables that other brewing doesn't have. Like, wh- how long did this take you to get good at it? I First, I have probably not perfected it yet. So it's like a continuous learning and uh, development. But I've been home brewing for like seven years now. Mm. So, yeah, it's been fun. We ha- I had a couple of failed batches, of course. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had some sake that went to the sink drain. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right, I'm going to try another one. So this okay. is Nigori? Yes. All right, and this one is cloudier. Yep. Is it like viscous at all? Like I've read some of them are kind of You probably thick. have a little bit different mouthfeel mm. or because rice particles kind of coat your tongue and palate. Oh, that's amazing. Thank you. These are so smooth. Mm-hmm. Wow. Oh, very. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna buy one of these bottles to bring to, <laughs> to the holidays. This is amazing. Thank you very much. Um, would you? Would you say that sake is like, in any occasion, drink? Uh, are there particular reasons why you would be having sake? Any occasion drink we. We usually drink sake when we eat. Oh, we do not have a, you know, culture to separate drinking from eating. Mm. Yeah. So every time you eat, every time you know you drink, or vice versa, right? Okay. Oh, usually we have like some appetizers and then sake together, and then we do not probably have a like real main entree, but just continue eating appetizers and continue drinking over the course of the night. I love it. That's really typical. Oh, uh, yeah. And also because of the tradition, sake is more ingrained into the like religious rituals too, right? So like the New Year's Day, we have a tradition to drink a specific drink. Uh, we will spice up the milling, which is a type of sake, and then that 
is a tradition that, hey, first thing you have to do on New Year's Day or, or the first day of the new year, you have to drink. And it doesn't matter if you are like 10 years old, you have to drink. I hated that. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, well, you just blew my mind for one reason, and I'm very embarrassed, but I always, for some reason, I always thought mirin was a vinegar, was a rice vinegar. Well, mirin is more like a rice sweetener. Sweetener, yeah. okay. Yeah, so... Because you can now, cook with it. Yes. Nowadays, yeah. people use mirin for like making teriyaki sauce. Oh. Right? The sweetness of the teriyaki sauce comes from mirin. Yeah. So soy sauce and a mirin and you can make a teriyaki sauce. Well, traditionally, mirin was a drink, sweeter version of sake or something like that. Yeah. So we just made it as a drink and then people use this as a digestive or cocktail base. I see. Yeah. But the original attempt was to make this so that we can have something to drink on the New Year's Day. I see. Mm -hmm. No, you mentioned the spiritual component. Uh, also in preparation for this, I had read that um, many of the breweries in Japan will have like a small shrine or even some of the... Oh, right above me. Mm -hmm. I didn't even see that. Oh, very cool. Okay, so and then like I guess um, some of like the Shinto temples will yeah. also have like an offering of sake. Yes. Yes. So we do have a small shrine in a Bushwick style that this yeah. is our friend <laughs> made. Yeah, I told my friend, American friend, that, hey, by the way, I want to have a shrine in my brewery. And he was like, sure, just send me a couple of pictures. And he found like a, you know, the bed frame on the street and then no, no parking sign. And he made a shrine for us. But Actually, that white stuff behind the, the gate is, uh, what's that called in English? I don't know. But I got that from one of the shrines in Japan. Is it like porcelain or? No, it's, no. A, it's a, like a wooden stuff that is blessed by a certain oh. shrine temple. No, no, shrine. No, Shinto shrine. Yeah. So this Shinto shrine is known for like a sake making. So okay. this is a shrine for all the sake brewers in Japan. So one year I went there and then got this, you know, what they lucky charm? No? Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of like home shrines I've seen, you know, often are for like grandparents and relatives. Mm -hmm. Is there any relationship with that too? Is it is the idea that you're honoring relatives? This is relatives? nothing to do with ancestry. Thing. Okay. Yeah. So this is more pure to like a specific god in the Shintoism. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have a I I pulled a quote. <laughs> this says from a third century historical Chinese document. It says people in Japan drink sake. They drink it in groups when they are in mourning. Um, so obviously that's a very long time ago and that's not specifically what people do now, but I thought that was kind of interesting. That's interesting. Um, it sounds to me like, well, let me ask you this first. When you first started, I'm assuming there weren't a lot of sake breweries here in the States. Still not many mm. right now. Oh, there are four or five big sake breweries in Northern California. Okay. So that's like big ones. That makes sense. Yeah. And then right now, I think there's probably 25 to 30 sake breweries. We are probably one of the smallest, mm. but 
even the biggest one is not as big as like regular beer brewery. Right, of course. Yeah, so that's that's our current situation in the US. Okay. Um, well, I am always, I've brought this up a million times on here, so people are probably like, shut up, Tim. But um, before he passed, Anthony Bourdain, like the only endorsement he ever did was this uh, whiskey company, Balvenie. And he did a series called Raw Craft. Okay. Um, and he had um, like a boot maker, a guitar maker, people who made crafts by hand. He had actually, there's someone, I think he's here in, in Brooklyn, and he actually does an old Japanese style, like long stick poke tattoos. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always think to myself, like, man, who would he have had on? If he had lived, and I, I get that, like I mentioned to you, the, the gentleman who makes the fish sauce, which is freaking incredible, Sun Fish Sauce in California. And I look, and I and I I look at something like this, and I see, like, man, like he might have had Chinobu on, like that would have been amazing. And to me, it feels like, in a way, like people like you are carrying on that legacy of handcrafted things that you could cut corners, you could do this sort of like two for one style thing that you get at a sushi joint. But you're honoring a longstanding tradition in the way that you're doing it. And I, I find that to be incredible. Did you and do you feel any pressure to like get it right, considering there's so few people outside of Japan making it? Um, I don't know if there's like Japanese tourists or, or people that come to the States. Is there added pressure to like make sure it's really good? Yeah, there's a lot of pressures. And then, of course, you know, compared to all the long history Japanese breweries, our stuff is still not fully polished yet. So that's why I was saying that we are still, you know, nothing is finalized here. Everything is learning and, and everything is development, mm. right? But that being said, uh, I cannot proudly sell something that my grandma doesn't approve, right? She was a quite bit of a sake drinker and... Uh, she was like, okay, yeah, this is a good sake. You should drink sake in this way, that way, something like that. And uh, every time I think of her that, hey, is this sake good enough that my grandma said it's okay? Yeah, so that's that's my like quality control. Oh, I like that. Mm-hmm. Has your mom had it? She has. She had. But she's not a big sake drinker. She's a shochu drinker. So she was like, okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Um. Is there ever an opportunity for you to sell this in Japan or is it just like local right now? Right now, only local and uh, technically I think it's possible. But at the same time, you know, New York or like Brooklyn is my market. Mm. And then that's where we need to have more good sake. You know, in Japan, there's plenty of sake. They They have enough, so they don't need anything from Brooklyn. Okay. This might be a difficult question to answer, but if you think of like a lower quality or a lower grade, like we, we talked about with beer, um, what's going on, I guess, with taste and quality, the difference between that and what I'm tasting here? Like, are you able to articulate, like, I guess maybe the taste difference or, or the, what the difference in quality is? Yep, I think taste difference... Yes. Uh, sometimes people tell me, or like our customer tell me, like, hey, I had a sake before and then it was more like a straight alcohol, like rubbing alcohol straight to your nose, 
right? Oh, yeah. And then also people people confuse sake as a distilled drink. And people ask me like, hey, sake is like tequila, right? No, but I know that some sake tastes more like a stronger alcohol. That's more quality issue, right? Sake is something that you can enjoy sipping, but some are not that much enjoyable. So you just need to chug or put in the beer as a bomb, right? Yeah. That's something to mask the flavor, I guess. Well, we are not going we don't mask the flavor. We'd rather like to for our customers to taste the entire flavor in a spectrum, but that's probably the quality thing. All right. So I'm curious because I, I'm and I've read like maybe it was on your website where you know, it will list Nagori and it'll say like, these are sort of like the, I guess the flavor profile or like the elements that you'll be tasting. Mm-hmm. And if you, we talked about craft beer, mm-hmm. you know, if there's a craft beer that says that there's hints of vanilla or chocolate or like I've even seen like chilies, that's because those things are actually done in the brewing process. Mm-hmm. But you just mentioned to me very few ingredients. Mm-hmm. So how are you, how are you able to vary the flavors like that? Yeah, so people say that sake is 80% processed, 20% ingredients, mm-hmm. right? Oh, uh, well, like wine, wine is more on the ingredients. So like hey, how good that year's grape is has a direct relationship to the final product, right? And of course, sake, yes, there's a certain element that this year's rice or this variety of rice has the impact on the final flavor profile, but there's more how you make it, right? Oh, so it's up to the brewer or brewery's philosophy how to make the sake. So when you say that, do you mean like the length and time that you're brewing it or? Yeah, like temperature, how to treat your rice, how to steam your rice, you know, how to ferment, everything. Wow. Does the Type of rice matter, I'm assuming it probably does. Type of rice matters, and uh, probably that's an easy kind of differentiation so that if you use a different type of rice, you probably have a quite easy different flavor profile. Also, the type of yeast oh. has a big impact on the final or more on the aroma, so the sake. But okay. that being said, like three product, three sakes that you are drinking right now, Jumai, Nigori, and Nama, although those three taste very different, they are from the same tank, same recipe. No way. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. So one is pasteurized, one is filtered, one is like not pasteurized, not filtered, something like that. So those combinations can make the final product very different. And pasteurized being like heated? To, yes. Okay. This is the Nama. This is the last one I'm going to try. Wow. Sometimes I feel weird like being so complimentary of the guests. Like I don't want them to think I'm just saying it because I'm here, but like this is incredible. And like I totally get what you're saying with sort of like the um, lesser quality being more like rubbing alcohol or something like that. Like this is so smooth. So dangerously smooth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's really beautiful. Yeah, yeah. All the people who make sake here, we know how dangerous that is. <laughs> did you do? Do you have a favorite place 
or a favorite place in Japan that you would drink before you started your facility here? Is there? A, did you have a favorite place to have sake? In Japan, yes, there was one good izakaya that I used to go, and uh, they have a very good variety of sake. And uh, it's a little more fancier side, mm. but we used to go there, uh, and then we were so loud. So every time we go there, they told us, "Hey, you guys! I know you guys are regulars, but please, <laughs> you know, tone your, your volume down a little bit." Yeah, but uh, that was where I learned a lot about sake. Yeah, now in New York, uh, I don't know if I have to pick one place. I like sake bar Decibel. Is that in Manhattan? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. East Village uh, underground, like sake bar. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I need to. I need to expand my expand my knowledge base because I haven't been to many places. Mm-hmm. This is so so delicious. Yeah. Um, I had seen that there's sort of like a traditional like cup vessel. It's like a white cup with the rings at the bottom. Yeah. And that sort of like lets you know. Uh, maybe you tell me, but like, oh, right there. Okay, mm-hmm. so. And you would use that to, to, to see the color for some reason, right? Yeah, so like small porcelain cup with a, you know, what do you call, like a circular pattern. Yeah. It's, it's like a typical traditional or sake tasting cup. But and going back to my grandma, she hated this. Why? Because it's just too small. Oh. <laughs> she always wanted to have a good glass full of sake. And every time she got a small cups, she was like, no, I need a big glass. So that's why we use a big glass. Yeah, this was a traditional way to drink small cups. And then, you know, you pour, being poor, something like that to mm. kind of encourage the socialization. But at the same time, if you have a good quality of drink, you want to have a certain amount. Yeah, yeah, right? of course. <laughs> you know, you mentioned living in Tennessee. It's kind of like whiskey land, like or bourbon, like Kentucky, maybe more so. But yep. um, obviously, with bourbon and, and whiskey and rye, like there are regional differences mm-hmm. in, in flavor and preparation. Mm-hmm. Are there regional differences in Japan and in how sake tastes? Yes. Oh, uh-huh. so I mean, nowadays it's changing, of course, because of the new technologies and the transportation and the logistics, right? But Traditionally, you know, each region has their own source of rice water, right? And then also each region has their own kind of group of brewers who share the knowledge, right? So that's why they develop their own style. Hmm. Well, un- until recently, I think that's been true. But nowadays, you can do a lot of different things to go beyond the regionalities, I think, People are kind of more experimental these days. Mm. But that being said, if you go go to Japan and if you go to different regions, the average sake that you can find in each region has their own uniqueness. I see. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you open up, there, there are not many sake places like we've talked about. How How has business been? You know, this is a hard time for all businesses, but, you know, it looked to me like maybe you're expanding, you bought a new, or you're moving into a new space. How are, How is it going? So we opened in April 2020, 
and uh, we did a soft openings at the bar counter that you are sitting right now. And the original idea was to have a sake on the top. You know, we let a customer in and have this kind of conversation. Yeah. That was the original idea. And then after three nights of the soft opening, we decided, hey, we cannot do a grand opening because of the COVID situation. And then New York City locked down like a few days after that, yeah. right? So since then, we never had our customers here, but it's more like a bottle shop. And then that was sad, but at the same time, the, this neighborhood was so supportive. And then they, they had been seeing us constructing and waiting for the license. And then after like one year, finally we opened and then that happened, right? So everybody was like, hey, I'll come to you, I'll buy your bottle, whatever you do, just we'll be, you know, your customer. And then most of the customer right now is within walking distance or maybe like three subway stops proximity. And they just bring their friends, bring their families, something like that. So the only reason that we are still surviving here is thanks to all the local neighborhood community. Yeah, that's amazing. Mm -hmm. And the... New facility will allow you to produce more or it yes. looks a lot bigger? So you see how small this space is. Yeah. And uh, we almost reached to the maximum capacity. So right now, we are not taking any more new account. Oh, we get inquiries from like a new restaurant in Manhattan like, hey, we heard about you. Can we do a sample and then can we carry your sake? And we have to say no. Mm. that, hey, solely, but we don't have enough sake to supply. So we've been looking for a space, and finally we found a space in Jefferson Stop. So it's like 10 minutes from here. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's, uh, a, that's a great area over there. Yeah. 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 So production capacity will be hopefully like 10 times bigger than what we have here. That sounds crazy, but our space is so small, so yeah. 10 times is not that big. Yeah, and also we'll have a proper tap room so that we can let customer in and then have a real experience at the Sake Brewery. Very cool. I, I wanted to ask, um, I'll start winding down, but I wanted to ask you if you had like a favorite drinking story memory. Uh, it could be sake, it could be anything. And I'll let you think about that for a second because I'll, I'll jump in and I'll briefly tell one. Um, I... Again, I'm getting older, so like I can't do what I used to do. But I actually woke up this morning like feeling particularly terrible because there's a place that I went to in the Philippines called Chargao. It's a small island. And I had some of the best times I've ever had traveling. I made a bunch of friends, like really wonderful, lovely people. It's a place where as a traveler, it's like a trans transient place, I think is the right way to say it. And that you know, for the locals, like a lot of people come and they visit and then they're gone. And, you know, it's always hard forming like friendships and relationships in that way because people always promise I'll be back. And maybe they come back, but often they don't. The island was hit by a typhoon three days ago and it is completely destroyed. Like the village I stayed and the friends that I, I know there, like they, they won't have power, electricity for five or six months. It was already a place where, like, it was entirely dependent upon tourist dollars. So, like, I just feel horrible, like, for what they're going through right now. When I went there, uh, the the people were, like, very um, 
I don't know if it's Catholic, it might be, but they were, they were very religious and they were Christian. Mm -hmm. And so every Sunday they went to church. But on Saturday night, there was a giant party and it was two towns over in a village called, it was called Bebe. It sounds weird, like, hey, Bebe, but, um, and there was karaoke and lights and dancing and just like this like beautiful chaos of everybody having this amazing time. Uh, San Miguel is the beer that you have in the Philippines, or if you want stronger beer, you drink Red Horse. And you'd go and you get these ice cold, big Red Horses. They, I guess, what closer to like what a forty would be here in the states. Um, and you'd have snacks, and and it's just everyone having an amazing time. And I can't ride a motorbike well. <laughs> My friend Kevin, who was with me, was riding. I was riding on the back, and everyone had been drinking, so. We're, we're riding back to go to like, it's like a guest house hostel type of thing. And it's very dark there. There's no street lights. And I notice our friends start to like whiz by us. And I'm like, oh man, like they're racing us. What's going on here? But then I notice like everyone starts to like fall into formation and we look like birds in a giant V. Hmm. And I look over and like my friend's flashing me a thumbs up. And I notice I'm like, Oh, they are they are guiding us home right now. Like they're like we are literally like a flock of birds and they're making sure we get home safely. And so yeah, it's not a drinking story like ah oh, I was puking all night and stuff like that. But to me it was like such a beautiful memory and I don't know. I guess sometimes when when I'm hanging out and I'm drinking, I like I think about that and I was especially thinking about it today. So um not that you have to match that, but being okay. somebody who makes sake, I was like, I wonder if he has a good story. <laughs> Sorry, that was very long. It's hard because I think I have a lot of sake stories, but the problem is remembering them. Yeah. Right? <laughs> but one thing I remember, uh, I lived in India for two years uh, when I was working for a company. Uh, I was on assignment. And uh, the part of the India that I lived was more dry, kind of dry county. It's not fully dry, but semi-dry. And it, it's hard to get any decent alcohol. And one, one night, uh, there are a few bars that allowed to open within the hotel or with a certain number of the guest rooms or something like that, interesting legal requirements. So I went to one bar and... Uh, we, we are so happy, and uh, I think me and my wife and a couple of our local friends were just drinking and then, you know, some nice music, so we started dancing. And then there were a different group across the table. They liked us watching our, our dancing, and then eventually they took care of all our bills. <sighs> so that was the first time that we got our free drink by just dancing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But uh, there's, a, there's more of this story that we, we decided to hang out together. Then that's a bunch of like American people there. So we went to uh, one of the guy's house and he was a home brewer. He worked for American embassy, but he was a home brewer and he knew how it's hard to get a good quality beer in the certain part of India. So he decided to brew. He converted his kitchen and he had a bunch of interesting stuff in there. At that time, I was not brewing. I had no idea. He had one failed mango IPA that he didn't share because it tasted so disgusting. <laughs> 
But also he had one beautiful, I think it was an amber ale. And by then I was in like, you know, one year in India and then I know that how hard to get a proper drink. At that time, Budweiser was like greatest beer to oh, me. Yeah. yeah. So that uh, amber ale kind of shocked me. And also the fact that he was brewing with limited supply and equipment in uh, like subtropical, not so clean environment. I think that still had in my memory when I came back to Tennessee and then I complained about, hey, we don't have a good sake. And then I still remember him making a good beer. So I was like, okay, maybe I can make a beer. Uh, make it, maybe I can make a sake. So that is a kind of sake story. Yeah, I love that. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Mm-hmm. All right, well, I think this is maybe a good quote to end with because I saw this online as well. It says, it is better to drink sake with someone once than it is to meet them 100 times without drinking sake. So <laughs> I have met you once and I've now had sake here with you. Um, but I hope I do get to, to meet you 100 times. I will definitely be back. And for everyone listening, what I'll do is uh, in the player you're listening to this to, I'll have the address and your website and social media and stuff so people could give it a follow. You know, I have been very fortunate to like get to talk to people before they're too big for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it often happens that we record and then they are too big for me because they've blown up. And I could totally see this catching on and, and exploding. It's so, so, so delicious. So, um Shinobu, like, thank you for having me here. This was a, a real pleasure. No, thank you very much for having me on your podcast, Em. Cheers. Cheers. All right, Voyagers, that is a wrap on episode 255 of the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. If you've never lived in New York City, you do not know just like the pure chaos of sound that is constantly happening. I've recorded this outro like 10 times already. It, there's just pure chaos. Just kids running in the hallways. Someone's using a drill next door. Steam heat. It sounds like you're in the middle of a war zone. But here we are. I did it. Hopefully nothing else crazy will happen. Thank you for listening to this episode. Thank you to Shinobu. Uh, it was so great to get to go to their their storefront and see their facility where they make their sake. So uh, it's always exciting for me to to be in these cool spaces. I know I haven't been recording as much as I normally do. Uh, there's all the life things that I've kind of been like trickling out to you. I also started a new job that's taking taking up a lot of my time. Uh, there's also like, it's just like COVID is like rampaging through New York right now. And people are less inclined to do these in person. But I have a few more here, so I won't sign out for the year yet. I'll be traveling to see family for the holidays and I have some episodes booked while I travel. But... In 2022, I'm already certain that there's a there's new countries that I'll be going to, you know, as is the case with every year. So I'm very excited about that, and I know I'll have some cool guests from new countries that I haven't visited before, and then obviously all the cool stuff I get to do here in the States. So thank you all for sticking with me. Uh, yeah, I'll sign off for now. Uh, as always, Voyagers, please, please, please take care of each other. I will catch you very soon. Thanks for listening.